0: I hope people look back and say HR and those people in HR and the people in culture departments or whatever we are called in 10 years, they helped me find a pathway towards a harmonizing work life in a very satisfying profession and career. I want them to remember us as the connective tissue makers. We produce better outcomes for people's lives because it's not only about the work, it's about helping people adjust to the new new world.
1: Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking HR podcast. One of the questions that I keep in my mind very often, and it's sort of a driving force at least uh, up here, right in in my mind is what is the legacy that I myself and the profession that I work for HR, what is the legacy that I want us to uh, leave behind? And the way I more specifically frame that question, at least in a a timeline is, you know, 10 years from now in 2032, when people look back at this very moment that we're going through right now, when we have so much, uh, so many issues in the world, so much, so many problems in the world, when people look back at this moment, what would I want them to say about HR? How would I want them to remember HR? What would I want them to think HR did for them and for the world that made it hopefully a better place? And that question is such a is such a driving force for me because it helps me put in a context all all that I do in helping HR prepare for the future. And to me, that question also implies the uh, sort of the thinking process of what we need today to leave a strong, powerful, and beautiful legacy with our work. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about HR invention, the impact that we can create with HR, the legacy that we can have with somebody who has been in the space of people, but also organizational design, a skill, leadership development, future of work along many different industries and sectors. Uh, somebody who is originally from my own region of South America from Brazil. So Wagner, I am really excited to have you with me in the podcast today. How are you?
0: I'm very good. Thank you so much for the words that you just said, because this is exactly the moment that we need to reflect on those things. Yeah, And it depends on each action, each word, and each strategy that we create for, for HR yeah. to accomplish what you're saying. So I'm very happy to be here. Hopefully I can contribute to the thought leadership. <laughs>
1: I'm sure I'm sure you will. And, um, you know, I've been recently reading so much, uh, so many biographies of uh, ancient leaders, you know, Alexander, Napoleon, Julius Caesar. I'm now reading the biography of Winston Churchill. And, you know, so many years later, you know, 2,300 years after Alexander, you know, 2,000 years after Caesar, you know, 200 years after Napoleon. We still think about the legacy they left behind, however controversial that may be. And, and I want to ask you, in 10 years from now, which is a very short span of time, w- what would you want people to say about HR looking back when they say, oh my gosh, in 2022, Enrique Wagner hacking HR or all these people did this? What do you want them to say about HR?
0: Actually, from my heart, I hope people look back and say, HR And those people in HR and the people in culture departments or whatever we are called in 10 years, they helped me find a pathway towards a harmonizing work life and a very satisfying profession and career. I want them to remember us as the connective tissue makers. We produce better outcomes for people's lives because it's not only about the work, it's about helping people adjust to the new new world.
1: Yeah, I, I love that. You know, Wagner, I don't know if you would agree with me on this, but sometimes I feel that we think so little about ourselves and, and about our profession, right? Uh, and the, the reason why I say this is I connect these things. I say, if we we in HR, we impact the lives of anywhere between three and 600 people, each of us, each one of us at work. If we create a better workplace for them, they will be happier and better humans. And if they are happier and better humans, when they go out there to society, they will be building a better world because they will be better neighbors, better citizens, and we're gonna have a better world. Uh, but HR sometimes doesn't see that entire structure of impact they have. Uh, how can we help them see that their role is not just the process, the operation, the administration, but their role truly is creating a better world.
0: You know, there there are so many quotes that I can quote here, but (laughs) the ability to reflect, Mm -hmm. the ability to pause, the ability to see that up until now, our function has been structured and has been defined by helping the business achieve the shareholder gains Mm -hmm. and stakeholder agreements Mm -hmm. to moving forward. I think now we are seeing is there's a convergence of needs. It's not only our shareholders, stakeholders, or our CEO, um, C-suite leaders. It's about the whole community of work. Yeah. So I think HR leaders have to pause, reflect, how can I manage and balance the needs of two constituencies, yeah. my business leaders and the people that belong to this community. If you see the workplace in the workforce as a community, we have shared accountability for the well-being of this community. We have shared accountability for taking care of each other. And with that, we are gonna have to pause and reflect very deeply what is our real role as HR leaders.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Now tying this back to something that you mentioned before about us creating in 10 years from now, people thinking, wow, thanks, to HR, I was able to find a job, or I was able to create my work in a way that was meaningful to me, where I found purpose and and flow and and energy. What do you think we need to do today in HR to start Mm -hmm. the road to achieve that vision that you just said for the next 10 years?
0: Yes, we need to be visionaries, but I know not everybody is a visionary, but I think it's about learning from data to get a sense of the dynamics, the patterns and the overall state of the workforce in general, in your marketplace. But then you have to personalize the experience. I think people are confused sometimes because data analytics and all the systems that we put in place to understand the workforce are really helpful to give us a guidance as to what are the patterns in the community? But it does not move my personal needs forward. So personalizing the experience of the employee, the employee experience that has to be personalized. For that to happen, yeah. you have to create the conditions in which people can actively pursue what they need. So you see, it's less about programs and identification and high potentials and all that. It's less about that. It's about Creating management capability that allows each person to create their own reality and expand the notion of what it is that I want in life and at work and as a member of the company. So, you see, we need to be much more focused on the individual.
1: Yeah. And, and you know, one, one thing that I think we have today that allows us to do that is, is technology. You know, I mean, maybe yes. in the past, you know, 20, 30 years from ago, uh, it, would have, it would have been very difficult to personalize that experience for everybody. Uh, and we ended up doing the very opposite to that, which is you know, cramming everybody under the same uh, yeah. uh, sort of umbrella. Now we have the opportunity to be more equitable at work and yeah. say, you know, let's design, you know, with equity for the people what they individually want and technology can help us do that.
0: On that note, this is interesting. I've been saying that equity, we have to create equity in opportunities for people to grow and access the opportunities in the company. Equity of experience is not possible because of the personalization. Mm -hmm. So we need to personalize the employee experience and create equitable opportunities. So no matter if you're remote, if you're in a hybrid, or if you are every day in the office, what I'm afraid of is that the proximity bias might interfere with people's careers advancement and growth because out of sight, out of mind, and we need to train our managers to be extremely careful on how to personalize, but not allow their biases to take decision-making to the extreme.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what's interesting about this idea of equity? and uh, talking again about uh, giving people the, the possibility of building the kind of work that makes them feel mm-hmm. like, you know, uh, uh, that they are delivering real value to the world. Uh, one of the interesting things here is that not everybody wants the same thing. Not everybody okay. wants to grow vertically in the organization, right? Some people may say, you know what? I, I am perfectly fine where I am. I want this other thing. I want more flexibility to work whatever I want to work from. Uh, instead of you know becoming the next leader in the organization and then having to be in an office. So I think that's it's very interesting to understand those nuances of what everybody wants.
0: <laughs> but you see how difficult that is yeah we cannot expect every manager suddenly To be attuned to the needs of the emotional needs, the personal needs, the professional needs, the spiritual needs, the physical needs, (laughs) the social needs. You can go on and on on the needs of a person, but for managers to personalize the experience to everyone is very hard. So I think we need to step back once again and say, what are the messages that I need to send to my managers? to get them to feel a little more courageous about having conversations, about being open to listening about needs and personal needs and and, and not cross that boundary. So there's a lot of nuance that we need to deal with that I think is a great movement that we're moving forward towards this. But we have to double down on management capability and management development. I really believe in that.
1: Yeah. And I know that's, that's, you know, pretty much a lot of the work that you do uh, right now. And, and uh, let me, let me ask you this, Wagner, you, We were talking offline about the reinvention of HR. Yes. And and we have already talked a, a few about, about a few of the elements that are part of that reinvention recipe. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what, what in the short term, uh, let's say over the next six, 12, 18 months, what would you want What do you think are the greatest opportunities for HR to reinvent itself over the next 6, 18, 12, 18 months? And I ask you this question because very often, yes, I I said before, 10 years from now, and that's sometimes not that tangible for a lot of people, but 6, 12, or 18 months is like right around the corner, right? So (laughs) what are the greatest opportunities for reinvention in that timeline?
0: That's interesting because I was just talking to a colleague of mine and I think we need to talk about in terms of capabilities of the professionals that we work with, but also the responsibility for integration of the functions. And then the application of technology to support all that. So I would say the first six months or six weeks, you can <laughs> start identifying the capabilities. What are the new capabilities that HR really has to possess? To me, I think it's digital dexterity. You need all HR professionals to be able to talk about technology platforms, to do data recording and analytics for their people and infer some predictions, understanding machine learning and AI, the limitations and the, the propensity to identify predictive capabilities there, but also start integrating the functions. So today, a talent manager or a talent partner has to know how the learning function is delivering the, the learning for these people to grow and how they can start adjusting internal mobility. You need to understand learning skills and the tendency for people to cross-functionally upskill themselves. Yeah. So I think we have to eliminate the boundaries that have yeah. created the silos. Because that's not helping us. Because sometimes you say somebody is doing a program in DNI here, DNI, and somebody is doing a program in DNI in learning. Somebody else is doing future of work or OE. It's like it's becoming a little crowded. Yeah, so yeah. why not eliminate the functions? And yeah. this is about two years from now. <laughs> two years from now, you create what we have at Prudential. I have the talent catalyst. It's a talent pool of folks who really understands organizational design, capabilities, skills assessments, um, all the good stuff, learning and all that, but they are fungible. We deploy them according to the needs in the business. So it's not people in silos serving the business and being there even when there is nothing to do. It's about coming together, building capabilities that transition people towards an integrated HR function.
1: Oh, I, I've, always, I, I've always loved that, that uh, concept, by the way. Um, I am very much um, of the idea of the Renaissance man or the Renaissance person yes. in this case, somebody that, you know, Leonardo, you know, like you are a great, Painter and architect, but you also know about engineering. You also know a little bit about biology. You also know a little bit about astronomy, because those fields, even when they are not your main areas of expertise, yeah. they contribute and make you better in the yes. in the verticals that are your main uh, sort of function. Um, what do, do you see? Do you think HR will embrace that idea as part of their reinvention process?
0: Yes, because you see that. Remember a few years ago, we talked about the life, the half-life of skills is two and a half years. That's why we have to upskill, reskill and all that. Understood. The half-life of an employee is three years. Yeah. (laughs) So you cannot count on having the employees that you hire today more than three years from now. Don't count on it. Because... You need to focus on what matters to the individual within the phases that they go through. Coming in is great. They learn, they they are actively pursuing things. The second year is stabilizing. The third year, they start thinking, hey, what's next for me? You have to be right there with them. So I do believe that HR is going to get there because we're not going to have the three to five year plans. We're not going to have, you know, creating programs that are two years long or three years long doesn't matter anymore. because it's not going to be sustainable. So I do believe just by the forces around the marketplace that we are going to get there soon. Uh,
1: Absolutely. Wagner, as we get closer to wrapping up our chat, I want to ask you one last question. If you had a magic wand to, you know, like instill in every HR professional's brain one skill that you say, if you get this one you know, I I mean, yes, there's a lot of others that you need to learn, but this one will get you really far. What would that skill be?
0: Oh, that's hard. (laughs) Yeah, I think the skill that would make a huge difference is human behavior. If our HR leaders would learn about emotional development, human behavior, Psychological defense mechanisms, psychological triggers, consequences of trauma, understand the person in their subconscious, unconscious, and conscious experience. Then we can personalize, then we can be empathizing with people better, and then we can move forward without trying to figure out why things don't work because then you have the whole person and you have an HR leader who is able to understand the, the actions and the consequence of those actions without judging, because yeah. we are very judgmental. Yeah, so are. learning about human behavior would eliminate the judgment, the bias, and the fear of failure.
1: Yeah. Well, fantastic. And I think uh, talking about the Renaissance person, right? that's uh, one that will definitely stretch stretch us out of our comfort zones into into a wonderful world of learning, I guess. So uh, Wagner, thank you so much for spending this time with me today in the podcast and sharing all these amazing insights with me and the community. So thank you so much.
0: You're very welcome. This was great. Thank Thank you. Thank you.
1: And thank you everybody. Stay tuned for the next episode of the Hacking HR Podcast. I will see you all soon. Thank you. Thank you everybody for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.